Hey, welcome to The Week in Bite, presented by The Wall Street Breakfast. I'm Daniel Snyder. Thanks for tuning in. So the VIX index is still over 30 this week, and there's no wonder why. The perfect storm has been brewing between central bank decisions, hot inflation numbers, and more importantly, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Here to give us a brief update is managing editor at Seeking Alpha, Kim Khan. Yeah, well, Dan, you mentioned the VIX in the mid-30s of volatility has been uh, the story of the week as we are now getting into a, a pretty much a trend of moving on headlines. Um, right now, investors on the equity side are seem mostly focused on um, ceasefire talks and how those are progressing or not progressing, as the case may be. And, you know, kind of every little um, flash that we see um, on, on the terminal comes up and gives the you know, market another reason to trade a certain way. And then you've also got the whole commodity sphere, which is, you know, moving not just to these headlines, but also on fundamentals and speculation. We've got oil prices now that were surging when, um, you know, going into what looked like um, U.S. banning imports from Russia, which they eventually did, and then plunging afterwards on people talking about peak sanctions. And then you've got other areas like the nickel market, which went crazy on a short squeeze and up to uh, more than $100,000 a ton, causing the London Metals Exchange to stop trading. And they're thinking about it. still they still haven't reopened it yet as they try and settle on you know what's going on with price discovery. So uh, you know a lot of unprecedented moves. And again, as you said, a volatile week. Yeah. And I think I just saw the report not too long ago here that says the LME, the London Metal Exchange, uh, is reportedly keeping the nickel market closed until at least next week. So we won't even see that here until the end of the week. I mean, who would have thought, right? What a time to be short nickel. All right, Kim, well, we'll see you here in a little bit for the Catalyst Watch, all right? Now, this is exciting. We have a special guest joining us on today's episode, the man behind the math of the quant system here at Seeking Alpha, our very own head of quantitative strategy, Stephen Kress. Steve, thanks for joining us this week. I couldn't think of a better time in the market than now. With everything going on, investors are frankly looking for quality stocks to buy on this dip or in this bear market, to be determined, of course. But you have a new stock idea that the quant system also has a strong buy on. So could you tell our audience what that stock is and why you like it right here? Uh, absolutely, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Uh, today, I'm focusing on a stock, literally on Semiconductor Corporation, ticker symbol ON, currently trading at $56. ON is an American semiconductor company, and I've actually picked it as a clean energy stock. Uh, that might seem quite unusual considering you know the typical stocks that are solar power or wind power uh, on again is a, a semiconductor company but the reason why i focus on it is they are quite the force in uh, the clean energy field uh, i recently wrote about it in an article called two best clean energy stocks the stock was also featured by another essay contributor robert castellano in an article called Ford and Odd Semiconductor, two picks bucking the semiconductor shortage. Odd may seem an unconventional energy stock, but it is a driving disruptive force with many innovations within the semiconductor world, specifically with their focus on the automotive sector and more specifically on EVs. This is an exciting opportunity above and beyond being a semi provider which are typically um, out there for cell phone companies and laptops. Typically a cell phone has about four chips in it. An automobile can have 2,000 to 4,000 chips. 
They are literally mainframe computers on wheels. There's an amazing opportunity for OnSemi in the automotive industry. Organically, investors already knew there was a movement underway for EVs. However, over the last 52 weeks, the energy sector is up 44%. WTI is above $107. Gas prices have reached 2008 levels and diesel just hit a record high in North America. Auto consumers now find that there's an added urgency to move to electric vehicles. And on semiconductor is absolutely crushing it within their sector. The company has great fundamentals and great quant grades. Specifically on the quant side, we do have a strong buy, as you mentioned. Uh, I will list the investment characteristics that we focus on and reveal what their grades are. Uh, as a reminder, grades are always sector relative. So in terms of on for growth, they have an eight compared to the sector. For profitability, an A minus. Momentum, A plus. And analyst estimate revisions, A plus. On valuation, they get a C plus, which frankly is you know much better than a lot of other technology companies that are still overvalued despite the NASDAQ coming off sharply from its highs uh, in early January. So the valuation is still really nice for the stock. Uh, as I said, they're absolutely crushing it against the sector though. When you look at them compared, um, taking price performance over a one year period, the stock is up 54% compared to the sector, which is down 10%. If you looked at it in the last six months, on semiconductors up 29%, the sector is down 15%. And just over the last three months, on has taken a bit on the nose with the rest of uh, the NASDAQ. The stock is down 7.7%, but the sector is down 14%. So uh, as I mentioned, there are a number of investment characteristics where the stock looks really good. Uh, growth being a leading one. Our overall growth rate is A, but some standout underlying metrics within growth. Uh, their revenue growth going forward, we give them uh, a B. The company is growing at a rate of 15% versus 13% for the sector. Uh, if we looked at the year-over-year -year growth, they just had a really good year. Year-over-year uh, -year revenue growth was at 28% versus 19% for the sector. But when you get to the bottom line, uh, looking forward, EPS diluted is growing at 73% versus the sector at just 18%. Uh, and 18% is nothing to sneeze at for growth but this company is growing at 70, 73% for its bottom line. Uh, on is a differentiated chip maker uh, at the top of its game, and it's got a portfolio set to lead with continuing grabbing marketing share from all the other providers in the semi world. Providing its continued success, On has had another stellar earnings report. In 2021, revenue increased, as I mentioned, 28%, uh, with operating income and free cash flow up six times despite the pandemic's uh, supply chain constraints. In terms of profitability, they get an A minus versus the sector. EBIT margins come in at about 20% versus 8.9% for the sector. Net income margins are at about 15% versus 5% for the sector. And lever free cash flow margins are at about 13.3% versus 10% for the sector. So in terms of profitability, it's really leading the sector. Uh, on value, you know, it's the one grade that, you know, wasn't in the sort of A, B territory. Overall value, it's a C plus. We look at a lot of valuation metrics, but I got to tell you, on some of the core metrics, it still looks really good. In terms of their PE on a forward-looking basis, 
We give it a B plus grade. Its P is 14 times. Uh, the sector is at 19 times. So despite having you know stellar growth, it's still cheaper than the sector on a PE basis. Uh, and that that's a uh, you know, I think it really stands out, but more importantly to me, if I look at it on a peg basis, uh, we give it an A plus grade on a peg basis. It's at 0 0.38 versus a sector at 1.43. So uh, to me, I love taking, you know, value and combining it with growth. So I focus in on that peg metric and it looks absolutely outstanding. In terms of uh, professional Wall Street analysts uh, that love the company in the back of its last quarter, uh, and for their full year estimates, recently 29 analysts revised their earnings estimates up for the company and no analysts revised down. And that's the last 90 days. Again, 29 analysts taking up estimates, no analysts taking it down in the last 90 days. So I think overall, um, you know, considering the sense of urgency that's out there with energy prices, where they are, and it looks like this could be sustained for a long period of time, uh, I believe that there's going to continue to be a move uh, towards green energy, but specifically, you know, this company has real earnings. It really focuses on the EV market. It helps out more than one automaker in the industry. Uh, obviously, we know that chips were um, highly constrained over the last year, but this company is out there bucking the trend, uh, and they're in a sweet spot. So that's my choice on semiconductor. Uh, strong buy from a quant perspective with stellar grades. Yeah, thanks for that that breakdown. I mean, that was very detailed, and I know I know our audience appreciates it. I do want to take a quick second and actually point out we do have the uh, the symbol page pulled up here on the screen. Um, I just want to go into the quant section of the ratings and just really just point out that th this isn't a, a new pick from the quant by any means. I mean, if we look back at the history chart here over the last year. Even back when the stock was in the 30s, uh, we had a buy on the stock from your, your quant system. That's correct. And here we are today at trading around $57, and it's still a strong buy, right? And probably for all those reasons that you just listed out with the metrics and the growth story ahead of us. Um, and Steve, I can't help but think back to the beginning of this year. You had tops, uh, uh, top stocks that you picked for the year as well, which also included some semiconductors. That's correct. So, I mean... The semiconductor space overall, are we just going to continue to see growth here? Is that what it kind of looks like? Well, you know, I think we're going to see growth, especially as the supply constraints uh, dissipate a bit. But really, like what I, what I like about this stock is, um, you know, their focus in EV. Clearly, there was some momentum in EV uh, already. And that's, you know, outside of Tesla and, you know, some of the other players that are coming on board. We know people have been buying their vehicles, uh, but really, you know, now that we see like Chevy coming out with their pickup truck and Ford coming out with their pickup truck, uh, I think what's amazing about the Ford electric F-150 is they actually just stopped taking orders for it because there's so much demand. Uh, and on semiconductor is in that sweet spot in the automotive sector. Um, I do want to go back and point out if I can real quick. Let me see if I can pull this up while I still have you. You did mention, mention the um, earnings revisions. We pulled that up a second ago, but also when we go into the Wall Street analyst breakdown that we have here on Seeking Alpha, you know, the average price target uh, listed here is still averaging around $73. Um, and of course, you see the breakdown of the analyst, the sell side analyst there with 16 having strong buys, 
um, and only one cell actually. So it looks like there, you know, there's a lot of agreement across the street that on semiconductor is probably a great stock for the, the months ahead and maybe potentially years. We'll have to see. All right, Steve, I appreciate you joining us today and giving us that stock idea. I know our audience appreciate it, appreciates it. You have a good weekend, okay? Thanks so much, Daniel. Take care. Now, let's bring in our headliner for today's episode, Nick Bunker, Head of Research North America at Indeed.com. Nick, you're the man with the data when it comes to employment, unemployment, quit rates, and more. So what are you seeing in this market right now? The labor market right now in the U.S. is extremely tight and very hot. Uh, so if you told me back in April 2020, after we got some of those employment numbers, you know, 20 million people losing their jobs about six uh, weeks, if you told me that less than two years later, we'd see an unemployment rate below 4%, vacancies near all-time highs, and sort of job switching rates at levels we haven't seen since the late 90s, I would have been shocked. But that's where we are. Uh, and with you know, the high level of demand for workers and some signs that folks are returning to the labor uh, force at quicker rates, there's some potential for much stronger growth in employment. Um, and the possibility that at some point, potentially this summer, we're back to pre-pandemic levels on some key metrics of the labor market. So I think there's lots of possibilities. Um, just we have to hope that economic growth can keep chugging and get us there. Now, what key, met key metrics are you referring to exactly? So I think there's two. One is just uh, the level of payrolls. So that if you look at, so uh, from the jobs reports, if we keep growing at the rate we've seen over the past three months on average, we'd sort of recoup all the losses um, that we've seen since February, 2020 um, by this summer. So, so June or July, um, which would be an incredibly quick recovery, uh, especially compared to what we saw after the global financial crisis. You know, and similarly, another metric I'm keeping an eye on is the employment to population ratio for people in their prime working years. That's ages 25 to 54. And similarly, if that keeps growing at the rate we've seen over the past three months, we'll get back to pre-pandemic levels in about June or July. So if on those metrics, um, if we keep chugging along um, at the quick rate we've been going at recently, um, this summer could be, um, you know, uh, a nice benchmark again, back to where we were before the pandemic. Nick, I want to ask you, though, because I think this is something that's come up in a few of my conversations as well, is, you know, when the pandemic hit, it, it's almost like people got early retirement, right? And we saw people, uh, whether that's, you know, a significant portion of the female demographic as well, leaving the workforce. So if you're saying we're almost back to pre-pandemic levels, does that mean that the people that we thought were retiring early or calling their retirement finally or the female demographic, are they all coming back into the workforce or is this someone else filling those roles? So I think while, you know, in aggregate, it's been a really robust recovery. There are some groups that are lagging a little bit. Um, I think when it comes to like the gender breakdown, I think a lot of those disparities, um, you know, for women's employment versus men's, some of those have faded particularly as some of the industries that got really hit hard by the pandemic have come back. Um, they tend to disproportionately employ women. So that can be responsible for that. Also one factor that was leading to, you know, women's employment rates tend to lagging men's was um, a lot of the childcare constraints, just, you know, the shift from in-person schooling to, you know, remote learning did have a significant impact on you know, labor force participation and employment rates for women. But that constraint seems to be, um, easing and uh, those mothers are sort of returning to employment. Um, 
But then, you know, you mentioned older folks in retirements. Um, so part of that trend is just that, you know, even absent, absent the pandemic, uh, baby boomers were getting older and heading into retirement age. And obviously they're a large portion of the population. Um, so there are folks who have retired over the past two years who aren't coming back to labor force and for good reason. They're, they're taking a well-deserved retirement. Um, but there are some folks who had, you know, maybe got pushed out of a job or were hesitant to return to one and said, ah, I'm retired. But now as we're in a period where the pandemic seems to be waning, there's a tight labor market, they are actually returning to the workforce. So there's some potential for that older group, you know, their employment rates and participation rates to rise, um, but they're not gonna be sort of the same share of the labor force or contributing as much to employment as they were in the past, just because they continue to age. Yeah, I want to I want to take a moment though and kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, last week we spoke with Eric Basmachi and he's he's a Seeking Alpha Marketplace author uh, with EPB Macro Research, and he kind of gave us the full breakdown of real income growth slowing down, and I think that's a big factor as well within employment right now. Right, we're seeing the the high quit rate or people quitting their jobs to move to a new job, potentially to get a bigger salary, just so that they can try to keep up with life with the hot inflation going on. I'm just kind of wondering, what are you seeing from your side in regards to this shift that's happening of people jumping from job to job, trying to, um, I wouldn't say take advantage of the opportunity, but maybe instead just try to keep up with the cost of their lifestyle? Yes. Yeah, so sort of my read of the ultimate source of why people have been switching their jobs or quitting their jobs at such these high rates is that there's just more opportunities out there. Um, you know, it's perhaps, you know, not that surprising that, you know, we're seeing, uh, we've hit new highs when it comes to the quits rate at a time we've also been hitting new highs when it comes to the number of job openings, um, a really good, an indicator of sort of labor demand. And if you were to just use, say, very simply use job openings to sort of predict what you would have thought the quits rate would be, um, you know, using pre-pandemic trends, you get pretty close to the rates we've seen over the past few months. So I do think that it is, it's really sort of a pull factor there that people see opportunities and they are quitting their old job to take a new job and getting raises that way. Now, obviously we saw those CPI numbers that came out this morning. Inflation is very high and higher than even some of the gains that people are getting from switching their job, which are quite high right now. So I think it is, you know, this job switching is sort of in spite of the inflation, um, rather than sort of being driven by it. So what do you, what do you anticipate coming down the line? I mean, as you mentioned, the inflation, I think it's the hottest in 40 years, I think is what we heard come across the wire. And obviously, you mentioned the job openings as well, which we're still well over 10 million job openings, right? So if, if we're getting back to a close level of full employment in regards to the population, where do we go from here? Yeah, so I think you know, outside, you know, assuming no sort of outside shock to the system or the labor market, um, it does look like the labor market is going to be continue to be very tight, um, and that's going to lead to workers still having some you know, advantageous bargaining positions, um, and we'll continue to see quite strong wage growth. Um, I think the question is, you know, how much of the inflation feeds through to people's expectations when they're bargaining for wages, and that could not only pick up inflate, you know, pick up wages, but inflation um, and contribute to it. Um, but also the fact that the strong wage growth means that there's some continued strength when it comes to income growth, consumption growth, and that could also push up inflation as well. So I think, you know, the question here is, you know, are we going to have, you know, wage growth 
stay at the levels we've seen before, perhaps slow down a little bit. Um, and then correspondingly, is like inflation going to, will it slow down? And if it does, it's going to slow down more than inflation. Um, because while we are seeing, you know, at least on novel terms, pretty strong gains for people, a lot of those raises are getting eaten up by the high levels of inflation. Right. So technically, are we are we stuck in a vicious circle? Is that the easy way to put it with where job openings are with as much money as in the system right now with people fighting for higher wages to continue to buy groceries and gasoline at higher and higher prices, especially this week, right with barrels shooting up like it did on, on the reports of US banning Russian oil because of the, the Russia Ukraine war. I mean, is this actually going to slow down or is this a vicious circle of where people are going to have to potentially jump from job to job just to get wage increases to try to, you know, maintain their their level of living? So there's the possibility that job openings do trend down and for a positive reason. So you can imagine the hiring rate does pick up and a lot of those open positions get filled. Um, and there was you know, some indications that we are seeing more folks uh, return to the labor force and pick up their, you know, their job search. Um, in the February numbers, we did see, you know, that it does look like the labor force participation for some key demographic groups is picking up, suggesting that maybe employers are going to have an easier time um, filling some of those positions. And what we also saw from some of those February data is that some of the sectors that have had the hardest time filling positions have seen some of the highest quits rates. Wage growth is slowing there. Um, now, mind you, that's from it's slowing from summer of last year when there were very, very fast paces of growth. Um, and now it's sort of trending downward toward more towards, um, you know, for leisure and hospitality workers, like frontline uh, production workers, the rate's closer to 6%, um, which is much lower than it was in the summer, but that's still all things fairly high. So I think there's potential for some easing of these hiring constraints. Um, some of the bidding up of wage growth could slow down. Um, where it's more sustainable, but quite high. Yeah, I want to take a second real quick, though. You sent over this chart. I want to make sure that we squeeze this in here. I just kind of wonder, um, you know, we're talking about the wage increases and we're talking about, you know, the overall employment and everything, but kind of walk us through what we're looking at right here. And does this lead us to, um, uh, does this help kind of guide us in any ways of what to expect going forward? Yeah, so I think the the quits rate, which is I think a pretty good proxy for both a you know employees or workers' confidence and also job the rate of people which the rate at which people are switching their jobs, um, does a pretty good job of like potentially signaling what's happening with wage growth. Um, and what you see here is that you know for both the all non-farm non-farm establishments, but also then just the private sector that you know 2021 saw a very substantial pickup in this rate. Um, and hitting levels we had not seen before uh, in the history of the series. So if you go back to the end of two, the year 2000, um, these are sort of the, the, a lot of the numbers we saw in 2021 were all-time highs. Um, so that has been part of the story of the very strong nominal wage growth we saw last year. Um, what you can see is that there does seem like there's potentially a flatlining there um, at sort of the end of this year, beginning of this year. These data can be volatile, so it's hard to know how much of a trend this is, but this is also only through January. And we did see wage growth um, in many sort of sectors temper a little bit in February. So there's potential maybe this has um, leveled off a bit. Now, if it levels off, this would be at rates, again, we hadn't seen uh, before the pandemic. 
So maybe sort of wage growth won't continue to accelerate. Um, it might settle out, but that would be still at a quite high level and levels we hadn't really seen um, in a couple decades before the pandemic. Yeah. One last question for you before we let you go. Um, you mentioned specific industries that are kind of lagging. I was wondering if you might be able to share any insight into what those are. Yeah. So in terms of employment rates, uh, sort of like employment levels, I think you know, the clear industry that's lagging is leisure and hospitality. So that's hotels, bars, restaurants, uh, travel. These are sectors that got hit very hard by the pandemic um, and then the sort of efforts to constrain the virus. Um, and while we have seen, you know, in 2020, 21, and uh, particularly so this year, employment gains in those sectors, uh, employment is still very depressed there. Um, so that is one thing to keep an eye on, um, you know, how much um, can this recovery continue at these high speeds if those jo sort of jobs in those sectors are replaced, or if it's going to be, you know, um, a shift in the composition of employment as a lot of those jobs uh, in that sector that were there uh, during, you know, before the pandemic and the demand for them has shifted away um, and there's new business models and that that sector might be just a less of a source of employment than it has been in the past. Amazing. Thank you so much for your insights, Nick. Really appreciate it. You have a great weekend. Okay. Thanks for having me. That is Nick Bunker, head of research for North America, Indy.com. Now let's go ahead and bring in Kim Khan for this week's Catalyst Watch. So looking at our list of catalysts for next week, Dan, and you get to Wednesday and then bam, it hits you FOMC decision. And it's really hard to think of a, um, you know, a more significant Fed meeting and Fed announcement in, you know, recent memory. It's, you know, right now for the numbers, like we're going in and the, the betting is shifted. Now the market has a quarter point hike, pretty much, um, you know, almost completely priced in with about a 6% chance of no move. But that's changed dramatically from the, you know, 50 basis point hike that was the majority opinion for a while um, before going, you know, the conflict with Russia and Ukraine started. Um, you know, and um, we've also got the summary of economic projections or the dot plot, a new one coming out from the FOMC. Well, and so, you know, it's going to be, a, you know, a, you know, a kind of monumental uh, you know, market day of how you know the Fed reacts to this because they, everyone's still expecting rates to rise and the rate site, you know, rate hiking cycle to start. But it's doing so in a time when there's a global conflict that can be a huge exogenous shock to the global economy, and you know the. But also at the same time, you've got inflation being stoked by more commodity prices, as you mentioned. And uh, also notice, as we talked about volatility earlier, and our friends at DataTrack have uh, you know pointed this out recently, that the Fed has never started a rate hike cycle when uh, you know the VIX was this high, you know, this many standard deviations away from its norm. So it is you know, completely unprecedented in a lot of ways. And it's going to be a really tough, you know, line for Powell to walk, you know, one way or another to please the market. Thanks for that, Ken. Yeah, all eyes are on the FMC, right? Powell, it's, it's lined up. It's like, what do you even care about next week besides that? Don't really sure. Now, Kim, I know you you kind of are on top of everything here, right? You're, you're managing editor. So you see a lot of what's going on within regards to um, what, lack of a better word, the smart money is doing. I'm wondering, do you have any insight into how they're preparing for this FOMC meeting? Well, I mean, I think I see, all, you know, right now, if you look at where the the smart money is going, they're they're moving away from, you know, as today's actions say, still moving away from the bigger high valuation um, tech stocks 
and the mega cap stocks. Um, you know, those are, you know, the NASDAQ is, is keeps falling further. And, you know, those are the stocks that tend to get hit the most when, you know, rates rise. And, you know, I think that, you know, if, you know, if you talk about the bond market being the smart money, the bond market now is, is you know, we've got the 10 year yield up to 2% today. So that's signaling that, yeah, you know, you know, five, maybe six rate hikes this year, you're still priced in, um, you know, that's where that's where the money is going. Um, I think that there is a substantial portion of people, though, who are going to, you know, hedge against that because they aren't comfortable with what's going on within in, you know, Russia and Ukraine and, you know, what the next headline could be and, you know, what next Putin move Putin could do that could, you know, change the entire dynamic. So, uh, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see a, a certain amount, you know, of, of moves up and down going in towards the Fed decision. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the bond market too, because I know a lot of the people that I know in the bond side of investing are all keeping their eyes on the five and 30 year spread, the two 10 year spread. I mean, the, the yields are flattening, right? Which obviously, uh, as we were talking about with uh, Eric Basmation last week, is that's kind of a signal, right? It's typically a signal that a recession might be coming down the line. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, but appreciate that, Cam. Thanks for the insight. And we'll see you again next week, okay? Great. Thanks, Dan. Well, everyone, that wraps it up for us here on The Weekend Bite. Everyone stay safe and have a great weekend.